0: When you go to almost any opera nowadays, there are supertitles projected above the stage. Obviously, it hasn't always been that way. It's just one more instance where technology has helped, maybe invaded, the way things have been done literally for centuries. Welcome back to Eccelerondo. I'm Paula Tuttle, and today we're looking at supertitles, the translations of the libretto and operas that are projected above the stage. Whose idea was this, where did they start, and what are people saying about them? By the time I started playing in a professional opera orchestra, the translations were already standard fare at almost every big opera house. And I didn't think about it that much, but looking back, I remember not seeing them at Heinz Hall when Pittsburgh Opera performed there, and we didn't have them at Eastman or any of the universities when I played the operas there. The operas at Eastman, strangely enough, were always sung in English, and we'll get to this later, because it actually is another facet of the whole problem. So the invention of these translations has been traced back to 1982, when the idea came to a woman named Marjorie Mansouri. When she and her husband, Lofty, were watching a TV broadcast of Die Valkyrie, the broadcast included subtitles like we see in foreign films. And that practice has been going on for quite a while. But Marjorie remarked about it to her husband, you know, Lofty, this opera isn't as dumb as I thought it was. And her husband Lofty Mansouri, was at the time general manager of the Canadian Opera Company in Toronto. So Marjorie's comment led to Lofty taking an idea to his technical staff and eventually the first opera with supertitles, which was Electra in january nineteen eighty three The experiment was successful and audiences asked for more. The titles projected above the stage on a 65 by 4 foot screen were called surtitling, and soon after that, the term supertitling was invented. The supertitling spread very quickly among American opera houses, but the term varied from place to place. An early adopter for the supertitles was Beverly Sills at New York City Opera in the fall of 83. About 11 other companies tried them in the next year. And by 1984, 53 American opera companies started using them. That was fast. Among the holdouts, the Met of all places. Over my dead body, decried the artistic director. Another dissenter, Rodney Milnes, editor of the British journal opera before he even went to an opera with supertitles. He writes, these titles signal the end of civilization as we know it. Okay, I get it. There are always those that don't want a thing to change. Pittsburgh's general director Christopher Hahn pointed out to me once, some people only want to see operas they saw when they were children, and they don't want any of it to change. Like everything in life, opera included, There are the early adopters and those that wait to see what catches on. But the introduction of supertitles wasn't just about change. It was about possible distractions, possibly getting them wrong. And what bothers most opera files: authenticity was at stake. And it makes total sense that the craze took place in the United States because Americans are notorious for not speaking foreign languages. Which gets back to the Eastman operas. They had received a large grant that stipulated the operas must all be sung in English. Which is worse, changing the language in all the syllables, or projecting the translation above the stage? The use of supertitles is prevalent to the point that even if the opera is in English, nowadays the untranslated supertitles are used. So this brings up a really good point in favor of the titles. There's a big discussion about text and music. Does one have more importance? And it's been seen that the argument swings side to side like a pendulum. If people are worried that a sung text may detract from the musical composition one decade and the next the other way around, the supertitles actually solve a few problems composers of opera in 2000 and later know their works can be unhindered. If the music gets a little loud, the text or the libretto is protected, even if it's in English. We did an electronic opera last season. Everything was mic'd, including the singers. There was no conductor, we all used earpieces, and an engineer balanced all the players, singers, and sound effects. The production was Dennis and Katya, and it's what you would consider very technical. And I didn't remember if the supertitles were part of it. I checked with Glenn Lewis, Pittsburgh Opera's head of music, who oversaw the rehearsals, the parts, the click tracks, and a myriad of other tasks. Opera is never as simple as it looks, and this one didn't appear simple one bit to the audience. And Glenn said he couldn't remember either. He had to check with the production because there were so many visual elements, including the typing that appeared on a screen at the back of the stage. Turns out we did have supertitles. The production team and everyone else, the two singers, the four onstage cellists, were all maxed out on technical requirements for this opera. The titles were probably a good idea, even though the show was in English and balanced by an audio engineer, because the audience was maxed out too. They were stretched thin, absorbing the on-screen typing, techno sounds, translating from Russian to English in both spoken text and the supertitles. She went into the kitchen. Panic. Panic came over. She was shivering. Somebody was scared of the guy was. So, this kind of opera, it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I think that the people that really love opera. They want to watch and ingest the entire canon of the art form. They appreciate what opera can be in today's world. How can it offer commentary and reflect, and especially include, every part of the community? Opera isn't elitist anymore. Aside from the people that don't want opera to change, there's a very large contingency of opera lovers that do embrace the entire opera canon. The opera lovers that go to every opera, twice, more. They love old and new operas. Two of my friends have seats at the edge of the pit, and they're there two or three times for each production. And they always come to the Sis probe faithfully. And I doubt they even look at the translations from that vantage point. So for the people that find them a distraction, a blemish on the art, well, just don't look. Opera has always been multimedia. A lot of people will listen to a recording while looking at the score. There's many ways to enjoy it. You just find what suits you. The first time I played Salome, I got a recording and I read the libretto. And maybe I made a mistake. Salome is horrifying. And whenever I played it in the future, I didn't want to follow the story. Which is kind of impossible when you know they're cutting off the head of John the Baptist. Probably the biggest complaint about supertitles over the last 40 years is the authenticity of the translation, and even worse, maybe getting it wrong. The famous story about Tosca at Houston Opera, maybe you never heard it, but it's pointed to again and again. The protagonist, Cavaradosi, is painting a picture of Mary Magdalene in a church. And Cavaradossi's girlfriend Tosca notices the subject resembles a blonde haired and blue eyed woman they have both seen in the church. Tosca is dark haired and has dark eyes. She tells Cavaradossi, Paint her with dark eyes, neri, which is black like hers. Well, the poor supertitle guy put the translation like this but give her black eyes. In Italian, it's mafale gli occhi neri. So the translation didn't try to dodge the phrase, give someone black eyes, which in American means, punch somebody out. So the audience just burst out laughing. Tosca ran off stage and refused to return until the translations were turned off. So next time you see Tosca, check the translation of that one. I'm sure everybody's heard the story who's created the supertitles for an opera. The problem of fitting a translation on a small screen and avoiding implications that are part of English culture, it's dicey at times. One critic, Will Crutchfield, put it this way. Every projected title is a double entendre. The disparity is inescapable. Translations can never be reduced to simple equivalents. The translator has to be a mediator in many ways. I must admit, I never imagined it was this hard. But recently, I started doing Duolingo in French, and I was able to pass a bunch of early lessons. And then I noticed that the translations were kind of wonky. Duolingo is probably doing its best. But now I'm thinking how people fluent in a language, they'll be irked at the translation above the stage. To these people, it's a definite distraction. So again, I say buy the tickets where you can't see the titles. There's a phrase in Italian, traduttore traditore, meaning the translator is a traitor. And I don't know if this is another reason for the resistance to supertitles. But I know for a fact they used them for Wagner's Meister Singer of Nuremberg when I played it in Italy. So I was unable to understand either the Sung German or the Italian translation. I have heard of two languages being projected at the same time. So the problems multiply as the real estate on the screen gets divided. So it should be pointed out that for forever, people read the synopsis before the show and they just tried to follow the plot that way. That can even be true if the opera isn't a language you speak. And it's another point in favor of supertitles. We had a book in our library at home called The Complete Opera Book by Gustave Kobe. And if you were interested to know the story or the history of an opera, you would just read up on it before going to the performance. I guess if you were really serious, you would do this. And serious opera lovers would reread the chapter on Magic Flute no matter how many times they've seen it. I cracked it open to Magic Flute today, and the first sentence about the opera was... The libretto is a jumble, so everyone trying to make supertitles has their hands full. And probably that's true of any opera. Imagine if it's in English, and you as a spectator, you notice a word is wrong, it's changed, or it's missing. And we see that all the time. Do you ever put the captions on for a TV show just because you're turning down the sound? The sentences get changed a lot. So the argument that the translation has to have supreme fidelity to the text is just bogus. So you ask, is opera dumbing down so it can draw a larger audience? Well, it's not really that. Americans, and not just Americans, people in general have become more lazy. They expect to be entertained. They don't take the effort to read the synopsis, let alone the Kobe book before the show. And then, as mentioned, they generally don't want to learn foreign languages. And two, the elitism and snobbery attached to opera symphonies, lectures, and all those art forms, it's out of date. It was funny on Frasier. Nowadays, it's out of touch, bordering on indefensible. Art is for everybody, and why not opera? The music should be the translator. Even if you don't read the synopsis or the supertitles, the music should carry you. Imagine you're a blind person. The opera could be very fulfilling. And if you're a cellist in the orchestra, I speak from experience. I found I can enjoy the opera without knowing the words or the story. If the music is worthy, the words aren't required. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. My favorite opera is Tosca, and I do know the story. But I don't listen for the words. I listen for the music, which is exquisite. Has anyone ever said the same about the words? Maybe. Librettists are often forgotten. We're doing La Traviata in March by Giuseppe Verdi. And the librettist's name is... Francesco Maria Piave Come to the opera and if you bring your phone you can read the synopsis by using a QR code on the program remind you that when you visit the Benidim for La Traviata, you're supporting the musicians of the Pittsburgh Opera. Come say hello. I'm happy to know my listeners. That's it for this week. we will see you next time. Bye.